Please turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter. I want us to talk about something very, very important in terms of our life and our future. And really, the uh, fulfillment of our Christian lives in terms of a meaningful relationship with God. How many of you know that your attitude is very, very important in life? It's your attitude. We... uh, tend to be more concerned about our aptitude, that is how smart we are, how, how, how talented we are, what our abilities are, what our training is, our aptitude, or our altitude, which is our position in life, that we might have a lot of influence or a lot of power, a lot of popularity. But Christ teaches us here in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, that Before God, our attitude is more important than all that we do, all that we have, our positions in life, all of our influence. God's concerned about our attitude. As he's teaching his disciples and really bringing them into the kingdom, he lays this foundation. Do you want to be children of the kingdom? Do you want to follow me further in God's purpose for your lives? Well, realize that your attitude is what is so very important. Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 is uh, really a, a summary of Christ's teaching on the kingdom. It's very condensed. It covers just about every area in life you can think of. And the foundation of this teaching is this first portion portion of Scripture called the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, if you really want to enter into the kingdom, you need to think about the condition of your heart and your attitude towards God and towards this world. And so, Jesus as he led his disciples away from the crowd, and they followed him with great anticipation to hear his teaching and his wisdom. The scripture says in Matthew 5.1, Now he saw the crowds and went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What a foundation. As Jesus tells us what's important from his perspective. How many of you know that it's possible to be sincere, but sincerely wrong? And this is how we miss the kingdom. We think it's by our sincerity and our commitment and our devotion, even believing that something is right that makes it right. 
Jesus is saying, be careful. You can miss the kingdom by thinking the wrong things about your relationship with God and what's important. Charles uh, Swindoll does quite a bit of teaching on this whole uh, issue of attitude. I want to read this to you. And it's a rather long quote, so I want you to pay attention. But there's so much here that is so relevant to our lives as Christians. Charles Swindle says, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, the education, the money, than circumstances, than failure, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. How important is our attitude? We would like to depend on our knowledge to get us through. Our talent, our associations and people that will help us and provide support. But God, over and over again, puts the focus on our attitude. How many of you know that uh, attitude is the key to a successful marriage? That when two individual marriage partners look at each other and their hearts are really turned away, it's impossible for them to build a successful marriage. There has to be an attitude of submission to God and one another in order for there to be a marriage relationship that works. And that's true of all relationships in life, isn't it? Our attitude is so very important. What happens when our attitude is bad? Well, think about the types of attitudes that are so obvious and so destructive in our relationships around us and in the world that we see every day. What about the attitude of pride and conceit And self-sufficiency that causes one to be blind and indifferent. Unteachable. Unwilling to listen or to change. Now that's an attitude which can become very, very destructive. How about an attitude of unforgiveness and bitterness? Have you ever held a grudge against someone and had that eat away at your heart? you realize that that attitude of unforgiveness becomes very destructive if we don't confess it and deal with it and reconcile to that person how important it is that that attitude is truly dealt with. What about uh, the attitude that develops in our lives where we uh, become very uh, covetous in terms of wanting to possess temporal things in this life, in this world. You know, our whole economy 
is based on an attitude of covetousness where people always feel that they have to have more than they have to be happy. How many of you found out that more things will not make you happy? Amen. The sooner we learn that, the more free we are. And if our attitude is turned towards God and we realize that only He can satisfy our deepest desire, then we become free from the things of this world. And that kind of covetousness ultimately leaves one very unsatisfied because the attitude of the heart to have, to own, to possess will never, never be fulfilled. Well, what about a good attitude? An attitude that truly leads us into the kingdom, leads us into the fullness of God's promise and His purposes. There was a Christian uh, counselor by the name of Clyde Naramore that many of us uh, studied when we were trained for ministry. And uh, he had a great concept of how attitude relates to our behavior. And he said it very simply, that uh, we focus on our behavior and our feelings, but as God focuses on our attitude, we discover that the attitude is the key to the change in our behavior and actions that we can't simply go directly to. When we try to modify our behavior, if we don't change the basic heart disposition, our change is only temporary. We think about our feelings wanting to feel better, wanting to feel more lovely, wanting to feel more peaceful. Yet if we don't deal with the underlying foundational issue of an attitude of trust in God, Again, it will only be superficial. He gave uh, testimony of his long counseling ministry where over and over again as he helped people to get their eyes off their behavior and off their feelings and on their attitude in terms of their relationship with God, that that's when the change began to occur. How many of you know that when you get things right with God in your heart, life has a way of working out? We struggle with so many possibilities, so many variables, trying to fix this and that. And God says, just come to me. Trust me. Let me change your heart. Because when the heart changes, everything changes. When God does something to change the basic disposition of our spirit, we see life differently. We're able to relate to others in a way that really brings the kingdom of God to bear. Now, there's been different ways of interpreting uh, these Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And um, the most common way of understanding it is God, Jesus is really explaining God's expectations in terms of our attitude and our behavior in the kingdom of God. How many of you know that the kingdom of God is a lot different than this world? And it takes a new set of values, a new vision, a new orientation, a new attitude in order to live for God in this kingdom. But we see that also Jesus is saying there's a difference between true spirituality and religiosity, which is about what we know and what we do. What is true spirituality? It's about a relationship with God. How many of you know that What Jesus was teaching was about a relationship, not about a religion. 
And if we turn what the Bible says into a religion, we will always be dissatisfied. But if we recognize what God taught us in Scripture is leading us to a fuller relationship, we will be fulfilled. And that's certainly what Jesus uh, taught here. He also is contrasting the true religion that he was bringing in the kingdom of God to that religion of the Pharisees, which was about knowledge and about laws, where God is more concerned about the law of the heart than the law that can be observed in public practice. Do you remember when he talked about uh, the Pharisee who stood up and prayed in his finest costume to be admired by everyone? And he said, I thank God that I am so superior to this poor sinner over here. And the sinner who called out upon God, Oh God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus said, Which of these persons has more favor with God? And it's the one who is of humble heart. And here we see the foundation of the Sermon on the Mount is about the humble heart that seeks the Lord. The more we try to get get attention for being spiritual, the farther we are away from the kingdom of God. Now let's get back to the text here and let's see what's here. First of all, as we see that Jesus drew his disciples away from the crowd and went to the mountainside. And this is in Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. And there are many lovely grassy hills in that area. If you've been there and seen that, you could just imagine Jesus sitting on one of those hillsides as he taught his disciples. It said his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, and here we have these beatitudes or these blesseds. And what is the meaning of the blessing, the beatitude that's here? Well, we realize that the word for blessed is really the same word used for happiness, but not the happiness that's based on our, our circumstances, The happiness, which is a deep sense of contentment, knowing that we are right with God in terms of our relationship in the kingdom. And so, do we want the deep spiritual blessing that only God can provide? How many of you desire that more than anything that this world can provide? That's why we're here, isn't it? We've realized by now that the world is full of empty promises, That the great blessings, the great satisfaction can only come from God. And so he says, blessed or fulfilled, happy, content. This is is God's purpose, but we have to truly come to God in the way that he teaches. The first four of these beatitudes or these blessings are about the internal work of the heart as we need to search our own souls and realize what it is that God expects. And then the second group of four is about our behavior and how this really manifests itself in the way we relate to others and the way we live our lives. And so let's look at these four first. First he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the poor in spirit? Those who realize their spiritual need. We don't come to God based on our spiritual superiority. 
We come to God based on our spiritual need. Isn't it wonderful to know that that's always the meeting point in our relationship with God, coming to God out of our need. I remember uh, hearing Dennis uh, Easter, who is one of, well, used to be our supervisor in the South Central District, and but Dennis does a teaching on coming to God, hear this, based on his love rather than our faith. And what a great message that, how is it that we can come to God? Because he loves us. We don't come to him in our strength. We come to him in our spiritual need. If we need healing, if we need guidance, if we need financial blessing, what it is, it's because God loves us that we're able to approach him. Aren't you glad that God has made himself accessible? That you're invited? You're included? The more needy you are and the more you, you realize that you're in need, the closer you are to the kingdom. You know, every pastor can tell you about that call that comes in the middle of the night. The desperate person who says, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know where else to go. And the pastor says, praise the Lord. Because that's when hope begins. When we're at the end of our rope. And we have to come to God in our spiritual need. And what is the promise here? For those who realize their spiritual need, the very kingdom of heaven, all of God's promises, all that God has promised is extended, offered to the person who comes realizing the spiritual need. Second, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What about this mourning? And how is it that there is a blessing associated with it? Well, there's a progression here, and as we come to God in our spiritual need, and He reveals our heart. And the greater need than we have even realized, he leads us into a godly sorrow which enables us to repent. How many of you know that repentance is a blessing from God? You can't just repent any old time you decide to. That it's a work of God's spirit in our hearts where he prepares us to really see and understand where we have fallen short, where we have failed, where we need to change and that godly sorrow enables us to mourn the kind of mourning that brings renewal and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The comfort of knowing that we're forgiven. The comfort of knowing that God hasn't given up on us. The comfort of knowing that we can begin again. It's when our heart is hard and our attitude is rebellious that we're unable to change. But when we realize our need and are able to mourn over our condition, that is the beginning of change. Third, the attitude. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? Now notice it doesn't say weak, but meek. The meek are those who place their strength under God's control, whatever that might be. Moses was considered the meekest man on earth as this great, powerful leader that God used as the great deliverer, the greatest leader in the Old Testament, perhaps other than David, but in many ways superior to David, who realized it was his meekness that God used to enable him to lead. There is great power and meekness, which is simply to submit our strength to God's control. That's an attitude of heart where we say, God, 
I will not move my hand until you move yours. God, I will wait upon you for the forwarding word rather than rush ahead of you. I will not make my plan and ask you to bless it, but I will wait upon you and trust you to establish your plan in my heart, and then I will obey. How many of you also have trouble with this meekness issue? Huh? We do, don't we? (laughs) But notice the progression. Poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek in terms of submitting their strength to God. The promise is that the meek shall inherit the earth. And how is that? The meek do not secure the the earth through their own efforts, but it comes as the gift of God. Ultimately, what God gives us in his inheritance is so much more than what we can obtain by ourselves. How many of you have uh, have known the self-made man who was put together all wrong? How many are, have been one of those? Men, women, yeah. Our culture values the self-made man. Yet the kingdom is about the God-made man. Where God changes us. God turns us in such a way that we're able to recognize that it's really about his kingdom and what we receive from him rather than what we can accomplish ourselves. And then number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled to desire the things of God, to know him, to know his kingdom. This is very practical, to to be hungry for God's word, (laughs) to be anxious to seek him in prayer, We cannot do that unless God really does a work in our heart preparing us to receive. And the promise is that we will receive. God doesn't want us to stay hungry when it comes to his righteousness. He wants us to be filled. Now, we move to those external things which has to do with the working out of this attitude in life. And first we see, blessed are the merciful, verse 7, for they will be shown mercy. Merciful. What is mercy? That is showing kindness and concern to others. Helping others in a way in which we know that that help cannot be returned to us. You know, by nature, we like to help people that can help us, right? Be kind that we, to people that we know are going to be kind to us. Mercy is about showing concern and being kind to people who can't return the same love, the same support. Gift of mercy. What a great gift it is. And what a great sign it is of a character that has truly been purified and fashioned by God as Spiritual maturity develops. The capacity for mercy increases. And that is the kind of caring, the kind of concern for others. How many of you have uh, friends or members of your family that require a lot of mercy in order to live with? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) We all do, don't we? But guess what? They would say the same thing about us in terms of, They require mercy to deal with us. Listen, mercy is the important ingredient of life. Instead of 
instead of expecting people to live up to our standards, our expectations, to realize that, you know what, God wants us to show mercy, to be forgiving, to be understanding. What's the basis of that mercy? God's mercy towards us. How many of you can honestly say that God has shown you more mercy than you have shown other people? Isn't that the way we evaluate that? And so to say, oh God, because you are so merciful to me, help me to be merciful to the people in my life that, that I would like to judge, that I would like to criticize, that I would like to pay back. God says, be merciful because I've been merciful to you. And this is how we really discover the kingdom. And the promise is, to those who are merciful, they will be shown mercy by God. Do you want God's mercy in greater measure? Well, be merciful to those that he has you deal with. Number two in these blessings that have to do with reaching out. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And it's interesting how this beatitude is placed here with the others that have to do with our behavior and how we're relating to the world. We might say that as God purifies our heart, he enables to look at this whole world in a new and different way. Instead of looking out at the world in terms of what we might take and how we might find our satisfaction and fulfillment, we realize that our only fulfillment is in God. And the motives he puts in our hearts are the only motives that are truly worth living. To be pure in heart is to be pure in motive. And the promise is that if we let God clean our heart, we will see God in our circumstances. We will hear his voice in the counsel that he provides. We will be aware of his presence in a way that truly is special, supernatural. You know, I, I love to be around people that are seeing God's hand at work all around them, don't you? And I want to be the kind of person that pays attention and sees what God is doing. And, you know, if we can see what God is doing and, and really support that and, work, and, and you know, pray that way and work that way, God has a way of making our lives so much more productive. And then verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, those who make peace in this world. They will be called the sons of God. And to be able to step into life situations and bring peace where there's a storm, what a great influence that is. How many of you know that uh, there are lots of people that are quicker to cause trouble than to bring peace? And God wants us to be peacemakers. And that we will be called the sons of God. That's to enter a situation where people are in conflict and disagreeing. And there is anger and tempers to say, God has a better way. And to bring the influence of his peace in all relationships. What a great witness for the kingdom. And finally, Blessed are those who persecuted are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is the attitude where we take our stand in the Lord as a witness in this world, and we know that there's going to be criticism, there's going to be rejection. 
there's even going to be uh, persecution. I heard a missionary speak recently who said, most Christians don't realize this, but there is more persecution worldwide of believers than ever before in history. Christians being persecuted for their faith, being tortured, being executed. And here we're living in a very comfortable Christian culture where we are encouraged to participate in church and to be witnesses for the Lord publicly. We realize that every believer, as that believer matures, will come to the point where there will be rejection, there will be misunderstanding, there will be criticism because of their faith. We realize this requires that we grow spiritually in order to face that and truly take our stand. How many of you know that there are people in your neighborhood that are uncomfortable with your Christianity? There are people that you work with that really, really don't like the way you live and what you believe. There's a very subtle undercurrent of persecution everywhere we are, people that are rejecting God. We all need to come to the point where we realize this. If I'm going to take my stand with the Lord, whoever rejects the Lord will be rejecting me. And I'm okay with that. How about you? I'm okay with that. If they're rejecting me because of my relationship with the Lord, I welcome that. And that's the attitude of heart that will help us to grow and come to the place where it really doesn't matter what other people think of us. What matters is our relationship with God and putting Him first. Well, let's summarize this and make a final application. Jesus taught His disciples what's really important in the kingdom. And if we're going to be His disciples today in this world, He wants us to know that our attitudes have everything to do with our potential to be effective for Him in terms of our Christian lives and our witness. It's important for us to humble ourselves, even as we are told in this scripture, realizing that we are needy, we are poor in spirit, that we need to mourn and repent for our sin, we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we need to take our position in this world where we're merciful, we're a bold witness, we're peacemakers. This is a kind of living that is unnatural for us. The natural man cannot fulfill the purpose of the kingdom without the work of God in our hearts, which is truly supernatural. And so what do we do? We humble ourselves before the Lord. We ask Him to help us. We realize that He really wants us. He really wants us to move forward in His kingdom according to these basic principles and values related to seeing life from His perspective with an attitude of heart of humble submission to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this foundation. And Lord, You want us to live in such a way that the world does not understand. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before You even this morning. Help us to realize that You want to do something in our hearts which is truly extraordinary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
And as we consider God's word this morning, how many of you feel like I do? That there's a lot of work to be done in our hearts. There's a lot of change which is necessary. If we're to come into the fullness of God's purpose for his kingdom, we've got to yield ourselves to him. And so uh, I wonder how many here will join me in a prayer this morning of just humbling ourselves before God, realizing how poor we are and realizing how we really, really need him to help us to come into the fullness of his kingdom. How many of you will pray that prayer with me this morning? Phil, come on up and let's, uh, let's pray together. Let's believe God as we open our hearts. Father, we thank you for this word, and we ask you to forgive us for our pride and our self-sufficiency. Help us, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Lord, we're so close to the kingdom, yet we can miss it if we don't realize it truly is a matter, to, a matter of our heart and our attitude, O oh God. Help us to realize our need. Help us, O oh God, to recommit ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time together this morning. Help us, O God, not to leave until we've made that adjustment in our heart and our attitude to follow you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Gracious Father, as the word has confronted us, not only of where we've been and who we are, but also of what we can be. We give thanks, Lord, for the knowledge that not only what we have become has been your continuing work in us, but that you intend to continue that work until our time is through here. And, Lord, we want to be as much like you as we can be. We pray for your grace, Lord, that as each day comes, your promise says, as thy days be, so shall thy strength be. We pray, Father, that that grace shall enable us to meet each day's challenge, in which probably the greatest challenges are the things within us that need to change. Attitudes, ways of thinking, ways that we get set In my case, Lord, the stubbornness and resistance to change. We pray for that grace that will enable us, Lord, to find your mercy and the strength that we need to be what you want us to be each day. Be with us as we leave this place today and help us, Lord, to focus not on what we want, but on what you want. Not on our faults and failures, but on the victories and the joys that are set before us. And Lord, to walk in each day in the victory that you have won and handed to us. We ask these things in the simple but trusting name of Jesus, and we give thanks, Lord, in your name. Amen.